Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cavalry Audio. My name is Cade Courtley, and this is Can You Survive This Podcast. The show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival in any life-threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Join me each week as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? My fellow survivors, if you can hear the sound of my voice, it means you are still alive and it is my continued mission to keep it that way. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast? I'm your host, Cade Courtley. Today, we have another amazing guest. Today, our guest is a combat veteran, financial advisor by trade, and founder of Order of Man, podcast and blog. Now, if you're not familiar with Order of Man, let me read you a quote from the founder, and I could not agree more with this quote. Here we are. Guys, we're losing the meaning of manhood. We've gone away from being strong, rugged, independent, and tough to a collection of wimpy, dependent whiners. Something has to be done. Well, my next guest is doing something about that. I want you to welcome Ryan Mickler. Ryan, how are you, buddy? Kate, it's good to see you, man. I'm glad to be joining you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. As we are recording this podcast, it is 9-11, 19th anniversary. We're obviously recognizing those that we have lost, but also recognizing the millions of people that were affected by that event. No doubt. What are your thoughts 19 years later, Ryan? I remember where I was. I woke up. I can't remember exactly what time it is, but it must have been, I don't know, six, seven o'clock and, and the radio came on. I hit the snooze button. I'm like, I don't have to be to work for a minute. So I hit the snooze button, fell back asleep and I woke up the next time to what had happened and I turned on the news and saw what happened and I went into work. I was working at a mall in a uh, shoe store at the time. And the entire mall shut down. Every store was shut down. And I was managing that shoe store at the time. And I said, we're not shutting down the store today. Like we're, we're not, this is, this is not happening. This is not a thing. So I kept my store open. Every other store in the entire mall was closed. And I think I must've sold two pairs of shoes that day, but it, it was more principled than anything else. Like this isn't going to impact the way that we do business. This isn't going to impact me living my life and me driving on. And of course it did impact it because at the time I was a member of the National Guard, which I joined when I was 17 in high school. And then subsequently in 2003 was activated to go to Iraq. We ended up not going to Iraq in 2003, but then uh, did end up getting deployed in 2005 to Ramadi. 
as oh, as the dude. fallout from from what we experienced with with 9/11. So, definitely oh. transformed my life in some difficult ways, but also some very positive ways and and shaped a lot of who I am as a man. 05 Ramadi. Hot. Yeah, man. Hot crazy so. times. Yeah, I remember when we got there, we had the unit that we were replacing us kind of gave us a tour and and showed us around. Man, these guys were scared to even leave their barracks to go from their barracks to the chow hall. And I thought, man, what, what is their problem here? But it was pretty intense, man. It was Chris pretty Kyle intense. left his a- mark in Ramadi about that time. Do you uh, remember yeah. being there with him being yeah, in the I, area? Yeah, so Task Unit Bruiser. And I think, I'm not sure if he was, I'm pretty certain he was part of Task Unit Bruiser. I'm not sure if he was uh-huh. attached or with Task Unit Bruiser. They got there in, I want to say April of, or May of 2006, and we left in June of 2006. So there was a little bit of a crossover, and uh, we had certainly heard some things, but yeah, what Jocko and his, and his teams and crew did were just absolutely phenomenal. I just spent actually a couple of days with JP Donnell, who was over there uh, around the same time. What a phenomenal crew. I mean, their ability to turn the tide of what was happening in Ramadi at that time was a, a phenomenal story and, and a, really a testament to the SEAL community for sure. Well, those guys did some great work. And uh, again, thanks for you being a part of that, man. It's awesome. Um, you talk about, you know, I think everybody's got sort of a turning point in their life. I know I did. I was in high school and three of my classmates were murdered by an escaped convict. And that was just a huge wow. turning point for me. I just said to myself, there is no reason to ever worry or fear because you just don't know when it's going to come. And that empowered me throughout my entire military career. But you talk about growing up without a father and how impactful that was for you. And I just would like to hear it. But you go into a little bit more of that and how that maybe led to Order the Man and how important being a good father is to you now. Yeah, man. I mean, let me hit on that last point first. It's my life, man. It really is. Like my desire to be a good and capable, caring, compassionate, but also, you know, has the discipline and the structure to be a good father. I don't know if there's anything more important in my life than that. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that, like you said, I I didn't really have a permanent father figure growing up. You know, my dad would call on my birthdays and things like that. And yeah. We had a decent relationship. I'm not going to throw him under the bus by any means. I think he's a good man. I think uh, he made a lot of mistakes. He's since gone. He died a couple of years ago, unfortunately. You know, I think there's a lot of things that went left unsaid between us, but ultimately, I do believe that he was a good man. But man, I just didn't have that example. You know, I had no permanent father figure in the home, and I had none of that structure and that discipline and that guidance. I I just had a conversation with my son a couple of days ago. It's it was a sensitive conversation. I'm not going to talk about specifics of that conversation, but as we wrap things up, I thought to myself, man, what I wouldn't have given to have this type of conversation with my dad. You know, it's you cool know, though. I, I mean, Ryan, you can make the right turn and be the victim until you're in your 60s. Or you made a hard left and you're doing what you're doing now, which I totally respect. Yeah, it is. Fortunately, I've had a lot of good men come into my life. Most of them have been in the form of high school football and baseball coaches and things like that who really helped shape me as a young man. But yeah, I think it would have been very easy for me to go down a path and complain and bitch and moan and cry about why I didn't have this and didn't have that and let it dictate my own inadequacy or my poor performance. But again, fortunately, I had some coaches, one in particular, his name's Matt Labram, who, you know, I never doubted his care for me and the rest of the guys on the teams. But man, he was rough. You know, he was hard on us. He was rough and there was discipline. And you, I mean, he would just give you a look and you, you just, it cut right through you. You know, you just felt the disappointment in him. And he was a very much a fatherly figure in my life. And you know, I look to him a lot when I think about how I want to raise my own kids. 
Well, how cool is it though? At the time when you're going through something like that, you're like, this guy's being an asshole. Why is he doing this? Oh, no doubt. And then, and now down the road, you reflect on that so fondly. Like, I am so glad I had that. And I wish more younger people would realize might suck now. You'll rejoice in it later. Yeah. You know, we've created this really interesting culture where it's taboo to have anybody struggle, you know, and it's, it's very frustrating because you know, as well as I do, maybe even more so that it's the struggle that shapes you. It's the struggle that chisels you out, defines you and makes you the type of man that you are. And what we do just generally in society now is, Hey, no struggle, no hardship, no heartache, no bad feelings. We don't want you to feel bullied or under any sort of quote unquote verbal attack or assault, which are, are crazy terms to me, you know, but that's what we've created. And then we question why we have so many weaklings and cowards running around trying to dictate the tone of the conversations we're having in society. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. I had this conversation just last night with my girlfriend and one of her sons is struggling with athletics right now and he's 14. And I'm like, you have no idea how much this is going to pay off later. This early struggle and having to try so much harder than some of his other teammates, and he is, is going to pay huge dividends. I was like, don't worry. This is a great thing at a great time for him to be going through. She's like, all right, I trust you. I trust you. You know, I'm like, trust me. That's good because, you know, there's a lot of women who wouldn't trust that way. I remember last year, we're not doing football this year. Unfortunately, Maine just shut down football for the entire state. It's a whole other conversation. But um, last year, my 12-year-old son, so he would have been 11 at the time, was playing football. And the first game, man, the coach really laid into him. Like he missed a block. He missed an assignment. And the coach got right in his face, bent down, you know, the blade hand of like, you know, this right here, (laughs) right in his face. The guy scored a touchdown. He's like, that was your fault. That's your problem. And I can see my wife just sitting next to me on the sidelines and she's getting all riled up and she's like mama Mama bear bear. yeah (laughs) and i'm like just stop for a second all right just stop let the coach do his job he's getting on him rightfully so he missed the block it was apparent he missed the block that was his fault just let him ride him it wasn't more than a few plays later the coach comes over puts his arm around my son and says hey you know and and he's i don't know what he was saying i couldn't hear him but he, he was talking to him with a little bit more empathy than he did initially. And I thought, that's right. Perfect. You know, that's what men do. We challenge each other. We get in each other's faces. But then ultimately, it's like, I do that because I care about you. I care about the team. I care about what we're trying to do here. And I know you're capable of so much more. I love women. And I think they bring something to the equation that men just can't bring on their own. But conversely, there's something that men bring to the equation generally that women can't bring alone. And so it's very, very important societally that we embrace the role of both femininity and masculinity. Unfortunately, it's way too far towards femininity at this point. Well, let me ask you that. As far as order of the man, I was going to ask you this a little later, but let's get right into it. It's a perfect transition. What is maybe the biggest misconception of order of men? And what are some of the comments, both good and bad, that you've received from women about order of man? I actually thought that I would get more pushback from women mm-hmm. with regards to what we're doing. Generally and overwhelmingly, I just don't get a lot of negative feedback from women. You know, there are some extreme feminine type women, feminist movement type situations where they might say, you know, you're being misogynistic or, yeah, you know, right. it isn't all about this machismo, all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, man, the overwhelming majority of women embrace wholly what it is we're doing because women want 
strong men. They want capable men. They want men to step up and to lead in their communities and their businesses and their households. And what that does for a woman is it allows her to step into her feminine role, which is that of nurturer, supporter, the love, the empathy, the kindness that men don't generally bring to the table, right? Well, I don't see having those defined roles as being disrespectful in any way either. Well, I think the feminist movement has eaten itself in a way. And so, for example, what I mean is that you know, you have this first wave feminist movement that says, you know, women are fully capable, which I actually agree with. Of course, women are completely capable. I mean, we see that in all types of scenarios. But what they focus so heavily on is you can do the same things that a man can do, but they never really stopped and questioned whether or not that was fulfilling and rewarding for women. So although my wife is a very independent woman, she's very capable, but does she want to do the things that I do? Like, does she want to be the man? Does she want to be the father? No, of course not. She wants to be the woman. She wants to be a wife. She wants to be beautiful and lovely. She wants to be a supporter, a nurturer, an educator. She's running our homeschooling with our kids over the past couple of years. But the more that I step into my masculinity, the more that I create the space and the margin for her to be able to step into what she wants to. So women love what we're doing. I actually get more negative comments from men who are ego-driven who are saying things like, well, who are you to define what it means to be a man and what do you know and all that kind of stuff, more so than women? Well, there will never be an end to the haters out there, but as long as you're passionate and believe what you're doing, it just it's like dust, just disappears. Help me understand something, Ryan, or maybe explain the pussification of America. When and how did this happen? Because I've been talking about it for about five years now. When and how do you think we got where we are now? So there's a principle called the proximity principle. And basically it states, I'm just generally speaking in, in, in vague terms here that, you know, you're going to be the average of the people that you spend the time with, right? So if you spend time around other men who are, are losers and, and pretend like they're victims and, and aren't willing to go out and exert themselves in any way, that's probably who you're going to be, right? Yeah. Same thing with the SEAL community, right? The limited knowledge that I have about your community, if you're around these hard men who are, are tough and strong and resilient and gritty, well, you know, you better stay up or you're going to get left in the dirt. And so you make yourself capable of being that type of man. It's that proximity principle. What well, we experience the same thing a little bit when it comes to, not even a little bit, a lot, when it comes to culturally how this evolves. So if you look at the industrial revolution, what was the involvement that men had with their kids, their sons and their daughters? Well, they were outside tilling the soil, taking care of the livestock, taking care of the land with their sons and daughters. And through those experiences, they were teaching life lessons. I've got a neighbor who's a cattle rancher and I see him out there every day. He's taking care of the land. He's pulling up trees. I drove by this morning. It must have been 630, 7 o'clock. Three of his four kids were outside and they were fixing fence you know, this is traditionally what men have done and they lead their families through proximity. So through these experiences, we teach the lessons that need to be learned so that our kids and children can thrive and survive. Well, we get into the industrial revolution and what happens is that men are stripped away from the home, right? We're going to ship you off to the city. You're going to go work in the factory and you're going to leave before your kids are up. You're going to get back just about the time your kids are going to bed. And you're going to have no more involvement with your kids. And so now our children, little Timmy and little Sally, are left to be raised by mom. Again, nothing against women, but it isn't complete. 
So now you got little Timmy and little Sally learning from mom. And then we start to evolve even more and we're taught and led to believe just through inflation and other factors in society that now mom needs to leave the home, right? She needs to go into the factory and she needs to start working because you need two incomes. So she leaves. But what do we do with the kids? What do we do with little Timmy and little Sally? Well, we better ship them to these little mini factories called the public school system to teach them how to be good factory workers. And then if you look at the ratios of who our children are being taught by, it's predominantly women. Again, nothing wrong, but they're not getting the masculine perspective. So I am very hesitant to use the term like pussification of society. I mean, I use that and I try to give it some edges and context. Again, it's not to diminish women. It's to say that they're not getting the masculine influence. And then what we have now is we have a bunch of women who are trying to tell men that only if they were more understanding and more empathetic and, and had conversations and more, were more relational. In other words, if men just acted like women, everything would be better. That's what we're learning. That's what little Timmy are learning. And that's what men, grown men, are being preached at right now with. Would you say a growing softness is a byproduct of technology? I mean, absolutely. Look, your likelihood of running into a life and death scenario, your likelihood of running into a, a violent encounter or a natural disaster that poses a very serious and real threat to you and your well-being is significantly diminished compared to what it was 100 years ago. So we've done a wonderful job at pitting ourselves against nature and creating the creature comforts that not only keep us alive, but now allow us to thrive. You know, you're, you're a little warm, you turn on the air conditioning. You're a little cold, you turn on the heater. That's all great. But now we don't have any situations where we have to develop the skills or we'll die. I've got a friend, Jack Donovan. He's very active in this kind of masculine space that we're talking about now. And he says, anymore, you have to choose whether or not you're going to be a man. So a lot of guys will say, oh, you know, you're a man just through biology. Well, that isn't true because my sons have the right chromosomes, but we wouldn't call them men. We don't even expect them to behave like men. There's males and there's men, and you have to choose in this current age to be a man. It isn't thrust upon you like it used to be 100, 500, 2,000 years ago. So it's more of a mindset and not a gender. Is well, that where no. you, when you're getting into male versus man? Let me qualify that a little bit. Yeah. In order to be a man, biology comes first. It's the prerequisite. Sure. Okay, so when you say gender, so is it male a foundation that you then grow man on? Correct. If you choose to. Male is biology. Sure. You're male, right? And there's male species of other animals. It's just biology. That's all it is. Man is something more. It's something you need to learn. It's something you need to develop and something that you need to step into. But biology is the prerequisite. Well, sort of nowadays. <laughs> it is, not, you, but look, you know, you, can, you know what I'm getting at, right? I know yeah. what you're saying. And yeah. I was actually having this conversation with my wife the other day, and I know this isn't popular. I know it's pretty polarizing, but we were talking, I don't even know how we got talking about it. And this male who chose to be a woman said that they're a woman. I said, no, 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 no. You're not a woman. That, that word is already defined. Yeah. It's already defined. So if you want to call yourself something else, fine. But woman's already defined. Man is already defined. And it has nothing to do with some sort of spectrum or some sort of social construction. No, no, no. It's already defined. And if you choose like, I want to be a man, want to has nothing to do with it. You can call yourself something else, 
but you're not a man because man is already defined as biologically male. You were talking earlier about, do you find as you're getting older, it's harder to stay hard? I mean, obviously, like I threw out a rib at the gym this morning. I'm like, I wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. But I'm getting into a mindset here in a minute, but I want to pre yeah pre this I'm with. thinking about this. As you get older, is it harder to stay hard? I mean, mentally, I'm different than I was when I was 25. Physically, yeah. that just happens. But then again, if you really want to be hard, you'll try harder to maintain that. I know what you're getting at. And I think, I think it's easier to take as you get older, the path of least resistance because we have more responsibility, right? So I've got a job and I've got to take care of my kids and I've got my wife. And so I have these obligations and responsibilities. And what tends to go for men is their hobbies, their activities, their physical fitness, their brotherhood, the other guys they spend time with. That seems to go first. So to answer your question, I do believe it's harder. Now, that said, for me, I've already made the decision. This is why you said mindset. I've already made the decision that as I get older, I'm just going to continue to get better. Like I've made that decision. And because I'm older, I'm more mature, we're in a better spot financially. Now I have the luxury of being able to have some time to go into the gym, have some time to train jujitsu, have some time to develop relationships with friends. Whereas I don't feel like I always had that because I felt like I was scrambling around, running around in the rat race. And I've been fortunate to create the margin to allow me to, like you said, stay hard. But that time could very easily be filled with watching porn or you know jacking off or whatever, whatever these guys do with their time, <laughs> losing themselves to fantasy football. And, and I'm not knocking that kind of stuff. I mean, like fantasy football, if that's an outlet and, and you want to be entertained and that's that's fine. But I see a lot of escapism in some of yeah. these things. And I just think, man, if you just filled your time with, just go to the gym, just go train jujitsu, just pick up some firearms, go hunting, develop a new hobby. So the margin is there for me, but I've had to make that conscious decision to continue to push when society just doesn't expect. Well, it I think that's discipline. And I think it requires even more as you get older to try and maintain a level. And that is the discipline. You know, I probably think about this a couple times a month. I went through hell week when I was 25 mm -hmm. in SEAL training. I'm 50 now. And I say to myself, do I think I can make it through hell week at this age? And I'm like, I really don't think I could. I mean, it's- I actually I already, think you could. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest thing is when I was that age, there was nothing getting in my way from becoming a Navy SEAL. That was it. And at this yeah. age, I'm like, well, I already did it. So to just step in there for those six days- it wouldn't have the same motivating factor. Physically, maybe it would suck. I'd probably have to go into the ICU for a month afterwards. <laughs> but it's such a mental game. I don't know. It's, it's just something that bounces around my brain. Mindset. Let's get into mindset. Can I say something about that, Cade? Yeah, no, please do. Because that'll actually tie into mindset. I think that's what would give you an advantage at 50 years old. Because you've already been through it. You know what it's like. You've been through other difficult situations. You've been in combat. Yeah, the body would probably not hold up as well as it did 25 years ago. But I think the mindset, because I know that you've continued to harness and, and hone and develop it, would carry the body. I really do. I, I think the mindset is such a, a much more important factor than the body. I really do. Oh, I agree. I agree. I, it's 100% mental. I mean, I went through hell week with a partially broken leg. 
And it was the mindset that got me through it because this is the strongest muscle in the body. It will Mm -hmm. tell the rest of it. Just keep going. Don't worry. Hopefully it doesn't pop out of your leg. But the desire is huge too. That passion. People come up to me like, I don't know what I want to do. I was like, what are you passionate about? No matter what it is. Is it gardening? Is it working on cars? If you love it, you'll figure out a way to be successful at it. And then you'll probably make money doing it. And I just, I mean, I was all consumed by becoming a SEAL. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get the chance. I think it'd be insane to try. But let's get back into mindset. Being a survival show, I wrote a book about survival, did a TV show about survival. So I get tons of questions. How much food should I have? How much ammunition should I have? And I always stop them right there. I go, all right, you can have 20 years of food and 10,000 rounds of ammo. But what's your mindset when you're really going to have to utilize these supplies? Are you going to be ready upstairs with what I call a survival mindset, which is mental toughness and physical toughness and then a desire to survive. I was like, what are you doing to make that stronger? Put the food away for a while, spend that on a gym membership. How are you getting out of a comfort zone on a daily basis? Because you can't just like, oh crap, the world's on fire. I'm going to go up and have my food and then turn on my survival mindset. It doesn't work that way. It's just like a muscle that you have to keep building and keep strong. What are your thoughts on a mindset, comfort zones, and just being mentally tough? There's that adage or the question of, if you could pick one, would you rather have the skill set or the tools? Like the the best tools or the skill set, right? You'd always want the skill set, right? Because the skill set will make up for any lack of tools or inferior tools, like always the skill set. That's what I try to develop. Now, I'm not the best at it. I mean, look, this isn't my my world. I think being prepared and having this mindset is important. But I'll tell you what, the, the best little phrase that I've heard that I've tried to adopt in my life, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not the best at it, is always be ready. Just always be ready. If you have to like turn it on one day because you're faced with a, a violent encounter, a natural disaster, an emergency situation... What is it in the SEALs? We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training, right? Archaeologus said that, what, thousands of years ago. And it's more true today than it ever was. Right. So I think that we as men generally, and I know women probably listen to this podcast too, and, and I would say women are just as guilty of, as men of doing this, is that we think that somehow in some situation that we'll just miraculously step up to the table when the circumstances demanded of us. Well, maybe. But I'm not really willing to risk my life or the livelihood or safety or security of my family. So the mindset of always being on and always being ready will always trump, hey, I've got the right tools or I've got the right provisions and we've got the right plan. Yeah, I mean, you're talking- the last time you went through that plan, right? Never. Okay, well then it might not work. Yeah, I mean, fight, flight or freeze. And those people who just think, well, I'll be good to go. You're deer in the headlights. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And I don't care if you have 100,000 rounds of ammunition in your basement. It's a complete package. (laughs) I mean, it really is. It's always funny to hear a guy talk about, you know, like if I ever got in a fight, you know, I'd kick Eh. that guy's ass. I'm like, well, when's the last time you actually had a physical altercation? Even just in training with somebody. Yeah. Nobody. No, never. I've never done that. Okay. Well, it changes. Look, I pride myself on being strong and capable. I've always been pretty fit and healthy. And then I go to the gym to start training jujitsu a little bit uh, about a year and a half ago. And I got 140 pound guys running circles around me 
I'm like, oh shit, like I'm not as capable as I thought I was. I thought I would just be able to step up to this. And you think a guy that you have 50 pounds on, no problem, and he's running circles around you. That's a very eye-opening experience to the reality of, of confrontation. Okay, folks, this is a great opportunity for the survival tip of the podcast. If you see a guy who's minding his own business and his ears look like chewed up bubblegum, leave him alone. <laughs> That's right. Disengage. <laughs> Just disengage. Walk on by. <laughs> Maybe buy him <laughs> a beer right, and then walk on by. That's Talk right. to me about, uh, have you had any near death? Well, obviously other than deployment, any other near death or life threatening situations that you found yourself in where you're like, man, that was a close one or. Yeah. You know, I've been pretty fortunate. Fortunately, a couple of months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I heard something. I'm like, what was that? And I woke up and I kind of came to you and I'm like, that was the doorbell. And it was like 2 a.m. And my wife woke up. I'm like, did I just hear the doorbell? She's like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I need you to pull up the camera, the ring camera, pull it up. Yep. I grabbed my gun out of the drawer and I went to the windows. We're on the top level. So I went to the windows and I looked down and I see a car parked in my driveway. She pulls up the camera. We're looking at the front door and we see this guy. Now, there's a time delay. So, we see this guy at the front door and he like he rings the doorbell and kind of peeks in the windows. And I'm like, all right, it's on. Like, let's do this. So, I've got my firearm with me. We're ready to go. I told her, hey, if you know something goes down, you take care of the kids. I've got my one of my dogs with me and we've done some training. So, he, he followed along with me. I kept him close to me. And I look at the live view of the camera and I can't see this guy anymore. I'm like, where, where the hell is this guy? I couldn't see if he was in the car. It was dark. It was kind of parked a little bit away. I'm like, did he go back to his car? What's he doing? So I pull up some other cameras. Like security is important. So I pull up some other cameras. I'm trying to find him and I'm going around the windows to try to find where this guy's at. Is he in the back door? Is he in the barn? Is he at the front or is he in his car? I just couldn't find him. So I told my wife, I'm like, okay, you call the police. Go ahead and call him. Get him a call. Just tell him what's going on. And in the meantime, I'm just going to be scanning. Got the dogs. Kids are locked in. You know what to do. We know the drill. We've gone through this all before. Well, the cops come. And fortunately, there was a, a patrol officer in a very close area. So he must arrived within two to three minutes. I mean, very, nice. very quickly. Nice. Yeah. Pulls up. I see him pull up into the drive. He pulls behind the car. Well, the guy's in the car. Long story short, he's drunk. So they get him out. They're doing the field sobriety test. He's all over the place. He's falling down, tripping over himself. They arrest him, throw him in the cop car, take him off. A tow company comes, picks up his vehicle off a property, takes that off. With I mean, all this happened within a 30-minute time frame. Cop comes to my my door and, and he's got his, his body cam on. He wanted to get some video of our record on his body cam, the video from the footage. So I showed him and and he's like, yeah, man, he's drunk. He's like completely wasted. He thought this was a church, which actually is a pretty convincing because there's a big church right across the street from us. And we live in a big white house. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. He was trying to get to an AA meeting. That I mean, <laughs> I think he was just trying to find a place to crash, you know, yeah. and sleep it off or whatever. So fortunately it all worked out. You know, that was the last situation that really I was on like high alert and like, okay, is everything I'm doing going to prepare me for what I'm about to experience? No, but let's- I felt pretty confident about it. Let me pick this apart because I want to congratulate you on handling that perfectly. Initially, if you've got an alarm system, you get an early warning, you confer with your wife, and then you're like, okay, you all know what to do. You get a firearm, you have a dog, you start surveying other cameras. So you're maintaining your distance while broadening your, your view of what's happening while still in a safe area. Kids are set to go. The plan is in place. They're implementing the plan. 
you proceed out slowly. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, it's perfect, folks. This is a prime example of how to handle a situation when somebody comes to your door at 1 a.m. It's perfect. So well done, Ryan. That was a great example. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and keep it up. That's awesome. Ryan, let me ask you something. What are three core values that you hold dear? Hmm. Man, there's so many values. I've actually got a list right here in front of me. I'm looking at them like, okay, which, which of those values is critical? Honesty, I think is important. Honesty with other people. Honesty, certainly with yourself. It's very easy to deceive ourselves. Yeah. That's very important. Courage, I would say, you know, all of us pretty much know what it is we need to be doing, but we don't do those things because we're afraid or or it's scary or dangerous or poses a threat to our own immediate well-being. And the third component I would say would be discipline, you know, integrity, just doing. I made this post the other day and I, and I genuinely mean it. I said, you know, because you said you would, I think this is what I said, because you said you would is the only reason you need to follow through on your commitments. And you know, there's days I don't want to work out or I don't want to train or I don't want to do a podcast or I don't want to do whatever, but the thought keeps running into my mind. You said you would, you said you would. That's the only reason you need to do it. And if you don't like doing it, then make a better decision next time, but you already committed to this. So get it done, do it, do it right and do it well. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love it. All right. Before I put you into hypothetical survival world, I want to give you another hypothetical, Ryan. I just made you the mayor of Portland. What are you going to do? Man, that's that's a good question. You know, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to get law enforcement together and we need to start having some serious conversations. So I, I think what's happening right now is there's a disconnect between the way that things are being governed and then what boots on ground are actually experiencing. <laughs> Which is so kind of always the case. Always, right? Yeah. So if I'm in the situation, I'm up here trying to govern, but I don't have any boots on ground experience, I got to sync the two up. So for me, it's about getting together with the police chiefs, trying to understand their perspective, seeing what they're dealing with. They've got the eyes, the boots on ground. I'm having conversations with these guys. I'm dropping the ego and you know, ultimately realizing, okay, well, my job isn't to defend and protect my own ego. It's to protect the people of, of the community in which I live. So, so what I'm gonna, would you do based on what we know now or our limited knowledge now? If you had to do three things, starting right now, you're the mayor. I have to do three things right now in Portland. Okay. So number one, have that communication with the police chiefs. Number two, instruct them to uphold the law that's in place right now. Hey, if we don't like the law, then we'll change the laws. But right now, this is the law. You instruct or excuse me, you uphold and honor the law. The third component is I'm going to be talking through social media, through other outlets with community members and instructing them and telling them that we are going to be upholding the law and you need to support our police officers who are doing their work. Solid. And prosecute at the maximum extent. That's the law, right? That's what we do. We got a problem with the law, then we can go through the systems to change the law. But in the meantime, this is the law of the land and this is what we uphold and honor. That's a solid. I'll vote for you. You're like, I don't want it. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't. I don't at all. Please don't put me in that situation. Holy cow. Oh, it's, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's incredibly difficult. But uh, oh, man. all right. I want to play a little word association with you. I'm going to give okay. you something. And the first thing that comes to mind, you're going to spit it out. Okay, all right. Ready? Sounds good. Millennial. The first word that comes to mind is interesting. That's and being look, nice. I can go both ways. Like interesting. I'm like, I'm, I'm interested. All right. Like, could this go positively? Could this go negatively? But I'm genuinely curious about what makes you tick. It's very interesting to me. Okay. Leader. Selfless. 
war. Necessary. You know, if you want me to expand on that, look, the world isn't sunshine and rainbows and fairy tales. So as much as we can attempt to be virtuous, there's people who aren't. And it's going to take those who are virtuous, but also capable of administering violence to put an end to that kind of stuff. Hollywood. Disconnected. (laughs) Courage. Sacrifice. Term limits. Important. (laughs) Loyalty. Friendship. Wife. Partner. UFC. Entertaining. Bruce Lee for your final. Thoughtful. Yeah. You do some hunting, don't you? I do. Yeah. I started hunting about three years ago. So not a lifelong hunter, but something I've got into as, as an adult. And you do, are you bow? Are you a uh, high power rifle? Are you both? Primarily archery. When I cool. hunted in 2017, my first hunt was actually a, a rifle and archery hunt. And I went out the first day, took a nice, you can see it right there. In fact, that's my very first nice. animal that I shot right there. Congrats. Shot him with my rifle. Yeah, thank you. And then two or three days later, I shot another deer with my bow. So, but I enjoy archery more than than rifle. I tell you what, it's a lot like chess. I mean, being a former sniper, there's so much, so many more elements that come into archery because obviously you have to be much closer. Wind, you have to think about scent, slow moving stuff like that. It's awesome. I haven't gotten into it yet. All my friends are like, dude, you'd love it. You'd love it. And I'm like, yeah, all right, maybe I will. But uh, I'm really looking forward to getting an elk uh, here in November. The old in, way. Uh, where are you going to be hunting? Uh, Northern Colorado, actually. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Man, that'll be awesome. Oh, it it's should be about a lot that of fun. season, so. It is. It is. I'm here in Denver in the bunker, and we had snow for the last two days, and it'll be 85, deg- 85 degrees tomorrow. It was 90 degrees before, and then two days Holy of snow, God. so we'll see what kind of winter we have rolling around. <laughs> That's hey, wild, man. It's going to be awesome. Ryan, talk to me a little bit about Order of the Man, 30 Days to Be Battle Ready, the program you've got going. Yeah, that's a new course. It's a free course that we offer. It's an email course. And essentially what it is, it's a series of, I believe it's 17 emails designed to give you information in four phases of planning so that when you actually are ready to implement, you know what the hell you're doing. Because so many guys are like, okay, I'm just going to go. I can appreciate the initiative, but is that effective? Is that actually what you want? Like, Let's hold up for a second. Let's do some planning. So the Battle Ready program is designed to give you insight into your vision, your objectives, what tactics are going to actually help you achieve your objectives, and then ultimately putting you into action. But making sure when you go that you're doing the right things that are going to move you towards what you want out of your life. And what's the best place for folks to uh, enroll in this or get this? Orderofman.com slash battle ready. Very simple. All right. It's that time. You ready to play the game? I think I'm ready. We'll see how we do. I'm a little nervous. All right. This is fun. So Ryan Mitchler, we do hypothetical survival world. And what we're going to do here is I'm going to drop you right into a survival situation. Okay. And over a series of 10 events, you will choose A or B, much like the old choose your own adventure books. Got it. If you choose the right one, it's plus 10 points. If you choose the wrong one, it's minus 10 points. Any questions about the game before I drop you into survival world? My heart's pounding a little bit. Let's let's get after it. All right, brother. Here we go. We tested on already. You're out hunting. You've got your brand new 300 Win Mag you've been waiting nine months for, but you finally got it. And it's late in the day. You've been out for hours. You've been stalking an elk. It's very dry conditions, but the wind has picked up significantly recently. And you look up and you see a massive storm on the horizon rolling toward you. It 
also happens to be in the direction of your truck, which is probably about two hours away. Any questions yet before your first decision? Are you asking if I have any questions yet? Any questions before we get rolling? That's your scenario. I think I got it. All right, here we go. Massive storm heading your way. Do you head to the truck in the direction of the storm or do you look around in the area and try and find shelter? I think I'm going to dig in. Digging in is good. It never makes sense to walk toward a storm, especially a massive one. You've got some time, so you head over. That's plus 10 right out of the gate, by the way. So you head over to a group of trees and you set up a hasty shelter in this group of trees. Excellent. All right. So you're in this crop of trees. You're settling in. A few minutes later, you start hearing thunder and it's getting closer and it's getting more intense. Do you stay in this group of trees where you've set up this hasty shelter or do you move to an open area? Thunder and lightning approaching. Can I ask a clarifying question on that or is that all I get? Absolutely. Absolutely. Am I in some sort of a valley or or some or a canyon or something like that or am I on decent or relatively high ground? Decent ground, fairly open, high ground is to the right, lower ground to the left. You're in a crop of trees in your hasty shelter. Lightning is approaching, staying in the trees or getting out into an open area. Keyword is yeah, lightning. I hear you. I guess I'm I'm getting away from the trees. I don't want to get struck by lightning. So yeah, I'm probably going to avoid the high trees so I don't get struck by lightning or get a tree to fall on me. Absolutely. You want to move to an open area. It sounds very counterintuitive with the storm, but the first thing that can kill you is the first priority you need to address. That's lightning. Lightning likes trees. You're in the trees. You're going to get out into an open area. Plus 20, brother. Keep it up. Okay, right, we're on a roll. Yes, you are. So again, you want to get away from anything tall that attracts lightning like trees. So you get out and you lie flat on the ground in an open area, which is the best position to be in. You want to be as low to the ground as possible. Now, you know your wife is starting to get worried because it's getting late. So, do you attempt to make a phone call and let her know what's going on, or do you stay low and unsling your rifle? Hmm. Yeah, I probably want to get any sort of conductor away from me, because again, that's the immediate threat. So, I'm going to get the metal conductor away from me, and my wife can wait a few more minutes if uh, the storm passes. That's excellent. Yes, you've got a lightning rod on your back. Let's get that thing away from you. (laughs) Another thing a lot of people don't realize, uh, another thing that lightning likes, electronics, like a cell phone. Mm. Do not make that mistake. It wouldn't hurt to have that thing off next to your rifle away from you as well. So, plus 30, brother. Keep rolling. All right. Lightning's getting worse. You look up and you see what to, appears to be an old abandoned cabin. Do you leave that brand new 300 Win Mag rifle and low crawl to the cabin Or do you get up and try and get there by sprinting as fast as possible? Low crawl or sprint to get there as fast as possible? Hmm. Low crawl without the rifle, you're saying, or grab the rifle and run? Yep. I'm going to low crawl. Yes. Unfortunately, and hopefully the rifle will still be there, but you you need to leave that behind. And again, 
If you get up, you're making a larger target and a moving target. Lightning likes both of those. So you low crawl over, you get to the cabin. I didn't know that. Moving target. Lightning likes moving targets? It does. It likes things that are tall and things that move and things that are metal and things that have electronics. So you low crawl over, you get to the cabin, you bust down the door. Oh, sorry. Plus 40. You're on a perfect score. Keep it going. You bust down the door and get inside the cabin. Okay. It sounds like a war zone outside. You place yourself in the middle of the cabin, which is the smartest place to be in a structure during lightning. About 30 minutes has passed. Some of the lightning is still out there, but you start smelling smoke. You take a look out the door and you see a wall of flames in the distance. Do you stay put in the cabin or do you decide it's time to get out of the cabin and move? Stay put in the structure or get out and move? Ooh. I'm going to stay put for a while. I'm going to play this out. I would not recommend that. And here's okay. the reason why. I'm interested. High winds coming directly at you. A wall of flames. An old wood cabin is going to go up like tinder. That's so true. This is true. If you're going to die, do you want to do it sitting Indian style in an old cabin or <laughs> running like hell and earning it? <laughs> Fair enough. That's Fair okay, enough. though. That's okay. So we get you back down to a plus 30 okay Okay. so we get you out of that cabin but before you leave you have to make a choice you can only choose one you see an old plastic canteen and it's filled with water or you see a wool blanket you only get to choose one plastic canteen with water or a wool blanket fire is approaching Think about the oh, first, man, the this get, first this thing that harder. can kill you. What's the first yeah, thing that can I, I kill you? I think the general rule of thumb is keeping yourself warm. So I would say that the blanket, that's the environment's the most important thing, if I if I know correctly. That is the correct answer for this question. Now look, dehydration sucks, but you can go three days without water. Right. right now, your primary concern is that fire, and I'll explain to you in a little bit why this wool blanket, which is non-flammable for the most part, might end up saving your life. Back to plus 40. Okay. All right. Also, folks, before you go out, back out into this area, try and remove any synthetic clothing, okay? And Mm. any jewelry. Both of those things, fire loves, your body will hate it if it catches on fire. So take the time to get that stuff off. All right. So you're moving. You see the fire right there. And you decide, I'm going to move perpendicular either up this hill to my left or down the hill to the right. So you decide the smart decision, move perpendicular to the fire, up a hill, or down. I don't know the answer, but I'm gonna assume the fire is gonna move up, so I'm going down. Excellent, excellent. Now folks, normally you always hear climb to safety, and that's really good in many situations, especially like flooding, but fire loves to travel up a hill. So the best decision is to go down, Plus 50. That's excellent. Right on. All right, buddy. Keep it up. So in this case, again, with fire, don't climb to safety. All right, you're hauling ass down this hill. Fire is on your tail. You see a small creek in front of you. Do you sprint right over that thing, or do you stop and soak your clothes in blanket? Do you keep moving because this thing's on you? Hurdle it. Keep moving. Or stop. Soak your clothes in blanket. I think I would get wet. I don't think it'll take that long, and I think it just adds another level of protection. So I think I'd take a quick bath and hop back out on the other side. You're absolutely right. 
if you can wet down your clothes, you're giving yourself an extra layer of protection that's buying you more time in a really shitty situation. Plus 60. Okay, so you just finished up. You're getting everything wet. You look up, and you are now surrounded by the fire, although it's not as bad in the direction you were traveling. So are you going to attempt to run through this small fire because you see a dirt road about 100 yards past it or are you going to proceed downstream in the creek are you going to attempt to get through this small wall of fire to what looks like a dirt road or are you going to stay in the creek and proceed downstream in the creek all right now i'm going to draw upon a hint that you gave me i'm thinking that i can cover myself up with the wool blanket or whatever the blanket was and get to that dirt barrier for the fire as quickly as i possibly can But do you know what's happening on the other side of that dirt road where you know water is safe and safe water usually Ah, leads to a safe spot? True. So just stay in the water because it'll go to a lake. Yes, I can see that. All right. That's okay. That's all right. You're still plus 50. You are still alive. All right. Final one. Okay. So final one here. The creek feeds into a lake. Yep. Got it. You are totally surrounded by a raging fire. Your feet, however, are numb from the cold water of the creek. It's probably barely 50 degrees, maybe even less. Are you going to go ahead and get in that lake? Or are you going to try that mad dash through a wall of fire with your soaking wet blanket? Get in the lake or try and bust through a small wall of fire. Remember, what is going to kill you first? Yeah, I think the hypothermia is going to render you pretty obsolete very, very quickly. So I'm going to make the make the mad dash. Oh, you had it, though. Hypother- uh. Hypothermia, you've got <laughs> maybe an hour, maybe two. Okay, you, yeah, you got some time. If you burn up, and I tell you what, if I'm going to go, I'd rather freeze to death than melt. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll go peacefully, you'll drift peacefully <laughs> off yes, into, exactly. into but oblivion. Exactly, you ended up with a plus 40, <laughs> and I think uh, there were a lot of really good learning lessons in here. We I do wish something. I could have done better. I feel, I feel disappointed. Maybe oh, I can no, do a round you, two at some point down the road. <laughs> let's make that happen. Your instincts were great on, on a lot of this stuff. Hey, uh, you probably remember from the military after action report, AAR, yeah, man. Uh, or after action review. What did you learn from this experience, Ryan? You know, the thing that really stood out as you were going through that is what is the immediate threat? That's something I've thought about, but you really drove home that is like, okay, look, you're faced with three to five to six threats, whatever they may be. Let's deal with the first one first. And if we can get past that, then we can deal with the next one, then the next one, then the next one. So that's pretty valuable for me, for sure. It's it's a way to simplify a life-threatening situation. The thing that can kill me first is what I need to address first. So yes, agreed. Ryan Mitchell, you did awesome, buddy. Thank you for being part of this podcast. Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate it. And my girlfriend's got her boys listening to your stuff and they appreciate right it, which means I really appreciate it. So keep yes. it up. Thank you so much for your participation, for your time and have a great weekend, brother. Thanks, Kate. I appreciate you, man. Hey folks, the best way to support our show is to subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. You can also check out our YouTube channel for video content of all of our episodes. So ring that bell to subscribe. And if you have any survival questions you want answered, just leave it in the comments so you can be a survivor, not a statistic. Can You Survive This Podcast is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Kate Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Kate Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti.